I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad and the downright painful, as we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition. Through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello, my beautiful Solly, and welcome back for episode two, My Unusual Body. Now, do you sit with the strange? So, first of all, I would like to display some consideration for some of my listeners. A warning. Some very small parts of this episode talk about things that might be a little difficult for some people to listen to. These include pregnancy, premature labour, premature babies, and amniocentesis. I just want to make sure that when people are coming into this episode that has maybe a bit of a sticky topic that might have had some bad ramifications for people, that they get a little bit of a heads up. So let's start. My unusual body. And why do I feel the need to share about it? Because with clothes on, you can't really see it. And so why do we need to discuss it? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because it creates a really good conversation about how the general public cope with things that are unusual and strange, which is a bit of me, believe it or not. So I was born to my mum, obviously. She had, from what I understand, a very good pregnancy, as in I was well and there was nothing overly um, to alert her to something was going on. I was born. And within a few days, she realized that something wasn't quite right and took me to the doctor to then I was taken to the Royal Children's Hospital and aligned with a series of specialists in different fields. The condition that I have is called Vactral Syndrome, and it's a rare chromosomal fault that occurs in utero. And what that means is, is that my body internally is built a little bit different to other people's. And the only way you might know that on the outside is my right-hand side of my body is smaller than my left. It's only marginal. It might show as like uh, my right leg being underdeveloped to my left, the same with my breast. It's all just different, the ear, everything. It's only minor, but it's there. But the most obvious and the thing that has caused me great difficulties in my life would be my right foot. And it has a deformity to it. The function of the foot works well. The ankle, the bone, the bridge, the arch is incredibly high. That's not a problem. It's the weird toes that I have growing out the end of my foot. And I've had them since, actually, I don't know. I've never asked mum if I had them from birth or whether it's when I started to grow that the changes started to occur. 
So it's known as a deformity because the bones in the top of my foot for a couple of my toes didn't grow to full length, which means that the toe grew out of the top of my foot very oddly and it looks crude. It looks or looked quite grotesque. So, of course, it was different to everybody else, which meant primary school was rough when you have a bunch of little shit boys who like to tease anything that's strange and unusual. So events for me, like the swimming sports carnival, were a nightmare. I would try to wear <laughs> sneakers. Everyone else was in their bare feet and in their bathers. I would be in bathers, but I'd try to have my sneakers on. And if I could swim with my sneakers on, I would have happily. Because it obviously pointed out, and it was very obvious if people looked down at my feet, that I had one deformed foot and toes. And it was the absolute basis of a lot of teasing that I got from a particular group of six little, let's call them assholes, because that's what they were. And I got nicknamed Toxic Toe. Now, at 40, I can understand the humor and the ridiculousness of it. But as a little kid, it was really upsetting. And they used to sing it to me and they'd yell it at me. And they'd point at my feet and get everyone's attention to also look at it. And I'd see people look at it and then look up at me, then look back down at it again, trying to figure out what was going on with my foot. It has been just, it was just awful. It was just awful. And so the other things that are wrong with this particular syndrome, I don't, I Googled it once. I'll be honest. I did Google it once because I only realized what it was called when I first became pregnant with my first son. And when I went in to have his 20-week scan, we were talking to the sonographer and we were all chatting. My husband and I were excited. We were going to find out the gender. And then he just stopped talking, the sonographer. He just went silent. And I didn't notice because, again, if you listen to my first episode, you'll know that I'm oblivious to many things in life. And this was another moment, but my husband picked up on it instantly. He also saw the change in the man's face. And he witnessed that the guy had just stopped talking and engaging with me. And he kept doing all these measurements and he kept doing things. And then I kind of cottoned on, like, honestly, a good three minutes later that the room was really quiet and he wasn't answering any of my questions. And I'm just, was kind of brought back to the present. I'd kind of been having conversations about the future. So I was kind of just brought back to the present in the room and the vibe that was in the room and the look of worry on my husband's face while he's staring at the guy looking at the screen. And then he turns the computer off. And he just looks at me and I was like, well, it can't be too bad. Like we've heard the heart rate, the heartbeat, and the brain seems fine. And the heart had all the four chambers. He ticked off all those big, massive things. Like what else could it be? And then that's when he said, I found something. I found a problem with your son and it could mean a really big problem, but I don't know yet. And at that point is when they decided to go ahead with an amniocentesis, which for those who don't know, it's a very, very fine needle that goes through the stomach and it goes all the way through to the space within the womb and they collect some of the fluid from around the baby. So the baby is not harmed. There is a significant risk that it can cause miscarriage. So you're told all of these warnings and basically at the time, I think if you're ever asked to have one of these things, it's based on what's your risk? What's the greatest risk in this moment? And so for us, the greatest risk was finding out if this baby had more complications. As we researched it more, as we found out more about it, as they went back through my medical history, that's when the word Bactral syndrome came up. So this particular syndrome has six symptoms within it. So I have five of them and my son carried the last remaining symptom. 
So what that looks like for me personally is it's often a duplication of things in some ways. I'm just trying to explain this the best way I can because it's really important to know that, again, not everything is as it seems and people have challenges. And even though if you saw me, if you walked with me, if you sat and had lunch, you would have no idea that there is some quirkiness about me. I don't present to be disabled. I'm working, I'm functioning, I'm quite successful. I hold really great stable relationships, but I have this quirkiness within me that is unusual and rare. So for example, a few of my ribs start off as one and then split into two. Instead of having two kidneys like everyone else, I have one horseshoe kidney that's all conjoined in one big thing. I didn't realize this was such a big deal until I have to go and get it ultrasounded, the health of it and the maintenance, and they bring all the students in to look because the common thing is that we've seen this in books, but we've never seen it on a person, not often in their careers anyway. And so it's also that my womb space, for example, instead of being that traditional upside down triangle shape that most women have, mine is shaped as an oval and it has a foreign not really a foreign, but it has a strange piece of tissue that runs down the center that creates two chambers instead of one big one, two smaller chambers. So for my firstborn, I went into labor with him at 27 weeks because of this womb. And he was thankfully, not well, we got him a bit further along to 29 weeks and he was born well, other than this sixth symptom, which I'll talk to shortly. But What happens is because there's two small chambers instead of one big one is when the baby gets to a certain size and it's touching all of the sides, it sets off the alarms within the body that, oh, the baby's ready. It's grown to that size that I can handle. So I'll just send them into labor. And then obviously it's a very small section. And so the babies are very premature, like Leo and like the two after. The other thing is my heart has, like many people's, it has an irregular heartbeat, but it has a second function malfunction that it does every now and again when my heart rate gets over a certain point and then you obviously add low blood pressure into that because of this little strange work that it has so I have a specialist for all different parts of my body and I have since I was about five days old until 18 I was seen very regularly at the Royal Children's Hospital I have a curvature of the spine I have quite a few joints in my spine that didn't grow the way they were supposed to There's actually some bones that never grew at all. I don't know where they went. They're just in mystery. So I had like urologist and then I had an orthopedic surgeon and then I had some stuff for the gynecological bits and pieces with the womb. And it was, you know, busy time for my mum. Like, you know, I hadn't really, I remember the day that the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne opened its first Maccas. And as a family, we didn't really eat McDonald's until I had these appointments at the Royal Children's where I was poked and prodded. And really in that time, the child did not get talked to. So I'd get told to bend this, do that, pee in this, have this test, blah, blah, blah. But never once was I ever engaged in the conversations through the 80s. It was always spoken to the parent. And so you were kind of told to go off and play, which I understood that. I I still do understand that now. It's totally different now. Um, My son has been in care from the Royal Children since he was born, and he is actively a part of the conversation and the awareness of the things that are wrong with him and if or any limitation that that creates. Whereas for my experience in the 80s, it was just these older blokes who really kids were there to be seen and not heard and they spoke to the parent. And so when it got to 18 and the Royal Children said, oh, no, we can't look after you anymore. You're too old. You have to go find alternate care. I actually didn't really know what to say about myself. I had a gist that I had a few things wrong with me. I put a request in to have my file 
released from the care of the Royal Children's Hospital. And when it arrived on my doorstep, it was so thick. It was insane. The amount of appointments and intervention and all of these marvelous, marvelous things that don't get me wrong. I am so grateful to the Royal Children's Hospital. I'm so grateful for modern medicine. I'm so grateful that my mum didn't know about this particular condition in pregnancy. Not that it's the same, but nowadays there's so much investigation into the viability of the baby before it's even born and people are given decisions on something based on data. So this condition, if you Google it, it's like, I'm not going to lie, it's like fucked up. There's some of the worst images. A lot of the babies are not compatible with life, which is very, very, very sad. But I have five of the symptoms, and while I only have them mildly, and the ultrasound didn't really pick up any of those, like mum said, it was just a grey fuzz and it was pretty much just, you know, about your heart and your brain and your length and that was about it. You know, if someone nowadays was told this is your baby, potentially it's not compatible with life, you know, you have a choice of whether you continue or not, it would be such a shame (laughs) that I didn't exist or lots of people like me. So let's get back to that about lots of people like me. So when I was a kid, it didn't have a name. It was just a series of strange anomalies. We went and then saw a specialist and he said to me, oh, you've got factual syndrome. That's really weird. That's rare. And I said, oh, I didn't know it had a name. It was just a series of things. It never had a label ever. There's nothing in my Royal Children's Report to say a label. And he's like, no, no, it turns out there's actually been, you know, a couple of handfuls of children born like you with similar issues with kidneys, limbs, toes, heart, all of those things. And I was like, wow, okay, well, I'm not that special. That's okay. I know I'm special. But there's other children that have these series of things and they're actually all connected. We just thought they were a bunch of random stuff that just didn't get made the right way. Turns out there's lots of kids who had a bunch of random stuff that didn't get made the right way. And then it gave me the information to gather on myself to make sure that my family medical history was really spot on and accurate. I've since been involved in quite a few genetic testing and trying to gather data on this particular condition. And so it's been quite an interesting ride. I wish I hadn't have Googled it, to be honest. It was yucky. It wasn't my story. I know that was a lot of other babies' experiences with it and families, but it wasn't my story and it made me feel a little bit weaker, if I'm honest, like I'm more fragile. And then the go-getter in me, the light and the bright, is like, no, no, mate, you are kicking ass. There's nothing wrong with you. You can run and jump. It just means that you need to take more care of yourself. So the stuff with the kidneys is I have to make sure, and even the low blood pressure, lots of hydration. You know, I cannot go an hour and a half without having some water. I have to keep my kidneys flushed all the time. There's some other little malfunctions in the way that was made, so I've just got to be really mindful There is a theory that potentially my organs will age at a more rapid pace than other people's, but I'm here to say, no, it's not. I'm going to be here until 110. Life is too fucking awesome. I'm not going anywhere yet. So I constantly have that conversation with myself that if I have a bit of a day, which I actually don't allow myself to get to, you know, making sure I'm not consuming too much alcohol too regularly, making sure I keep my hydration up, making sure I make reasonably good choices 90% of the time on food I put in my body making sure I treat myself well with exercise. So many times I tried to keep up with everybody else and do these hardcore gyms and do these step classes and I just kept fainting and I didn't understand why until my heart got some more work done on it and the heart specialist, typical Aussie bloke, goes, 
pretty much don't race, don't run unless something's going to kill you. Like if there's a dog chasing you, then fucking run. But if there's nothing chasing you, don't run. Just stick to yoga and Pilates and those kind of low-level forms of movement rather than this punishment form of exercise. And my dear friend goes to what I call the torture gym. It's a gym in the center of our town. And it's those ones, you know, with the big ropes and everyone's really sweaty and grunting and they're really pushing their body and their heart rate to the max. And I went really, again, Gail, naive, a little bubble of everything will be all right. And I looked at the first few exercises and went, yeah, that's up and down stuff. My brain and my heart don't really do well with up and down stuff. They didn't ask me about anything medical. I went as a bring a friend day. I didn't fill in a sheet, nothing. And I got to the counter and I said to the guy, um, I've got a few quirky things about my body and I haven't filled in a form. Like, is this like, is that responsible? And he went, oh, well, I said, look, I get a warning if my body doesn't like it. It's pretty clear. And he's like, well, that's cool. Do that. So I was like, it was very casual. It's a very blokey, masculine, masculine space. And so I did the first exercise and I was like, oh, I'm feeling a bit lightheaded, but you know, I'm fit as fuck. So that's kind of sounds a bit normal. And then I had to do this other one where I pulled down on this machine really hard and I had to pull down to the floor and then stare back up. And I just know that low blood pressure and that kind of up and down doesn't work. Sure enough, I think I looked at my friend and she just went, oh no. And I started collapsing. The thing with this collapsing is it takes ages to recover. So just when I think I'm settled, if I try to get back to the exercise again, my heart goes, yeah, not going to happen. And I just bottom out again. And in the past, I've known that that had to be, you know, lay on your back with your legs in the air. So I was doing this on the floor in the middle of the gym. And my poor friend is like, I don't want to leave you. And I'm like, just leave me. Just go and do whatever you want to do. I shouldn't have come here. I've taken a long time to learn what works for my body. And of course, I had to leave with my tail between my legs from all these amazing, powerful people. But that's just not what my body can do. That's just not the way I'm made. And so I might be a bit soft and squishy around the edges because I can't push it to tone it and train it and do all those sorts of things. And uh, so, yeah, I just went to yoga and Pilates and that suits my body beautifully. I can get that heat up. It's not going to make me lose weight, but I can stay flexible, which is really good for my muscles and for my strengthening the sides of my body that are a bit smaller. And so it's just my unusual body. So I went to my doctor about this toe. Remember the toe we talked about way back when? So it grew out the top of my foot. I was called toxic toe, but very embarrassing. I used to buy sandals to hide it. And so this doctor's like, well, how much should this toe bother you? And I said, I hate it. I fucking hate it. I just look at it and it's gross. It's ugly. You can see it's a deformity. And he's like, we could amputate it. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, but to get it covered by Medicare, you'd have to say that it hurts. And I'm like, you just tell me what the hell to say. And I'm saying it. I'm going for it. And so that's what happened. I had this appointment. I said, oh yeah, my toe really hurts and it causes me stress and get it caught on things and it hurts in my shoe. And within four months, I was on an operating table and I was saying goodbye to that fucker that had caused so much annoyance and teasing and self-esteem issues in my life. And I woke up an hour and a half later, minus a toe. And it's been very interesting since then. Definitely the first 18 months. Even though this toe was small, it had never touched the ground because it grew out of the top of my foot rather than at the end. So it never affected my balance or anything like that. And really, it was only really small. It was like a baby's toe. So I got it chopped off 
and I was left with a small scar. And it's really interesting because I had this weird sensation. And I know we talk about these, I've heard these stories from people who have had amputations done. So it was that, this pain, this like, and I know it sounds silly, but like this longing that my body had and this pressure built up at the wound site. And for ages, I was take a Panadol, it did nothing. Take a Nurofen, it did nothing. It wasn't about how long I stood on it. Even when I laid in bed sleeping, it was like my body knew a piece of it was missing. And I'd get this horrible, sad ache at the wound site. And I went and saw my massage lady, shout out to Danielle. She's amazing. She's massaged my body for 20 years. And she was into energy and she was into Reiki and a whole bunch of different things. And she showed me how to run the fluid energy lines over my knee, down my leg, over the top of the wound space and carry it around my foot, almost like training my energy. I know this is a stop sign here, but you can continue over. So I've learned to practice that, that whenever that ache come on, whenever that feeling of loss or departure came on, I'd do this energy work over my body and the pain would settle really quickly. No Panadol, no Nurofen. It was like the energy around my body just felt like, oh, I don't know where to go now. Something was here and now it's not here and I can feel this severage that's occurred. So I did this energy work over my body and it has helped. And within three years, I didn't have any of those sensations anymore and any of those feelings. Sometimes it gets really cold, which is weird when the rest of my foot is hot, but I think that's still an energy and a blood flow thing. So I just do that energy work and I just might put like a little heat pack or something on. So yeah, so amputee toe. So my sister and my dad both have the same toe. And when I showed my sister my new amputee foot, she was like, gross, you should have left the toe on there. But I was thrilled with my decision. I loved it. And as my friends who have been my friends for 20 years, they've never said anything. God bless them. They are discreet, lovely women. And I'm one of my friends, I don't know if it's just the laugh of the gods, but one of my friends has an absolute issue with feet and toes. Like, gross, she hates feet. She doesn't like them at all. It's definitely get her ringing up on one of those 1-800-feet websites or phone calls. She hates feet. And we were at, sitting at a wine bar in town and we'd all had a fabulous amount of champagne. And one of my friends who's a shit stirrer was like, Gail, get your foot out and show it to Jess. And I was just, <laughs> she'd never spoken about my foot really, never. And so the fact she was just so open about it, it just goes, get it out, get it out, get it out. It was pissed off her face. And so I was drunk, so I took my shoe off and I dangled it, my weird amputee foot in front of my friend, who then started gagging and, you know, making all these funny noises. And it just, it actually was my ticket to freedom, that moment with those girls, because it was just so funny. I never was self-conscious about my foot after that. And I thought, I know my friend who hates feet. She would gag like that at anyone's foot. If my other friend had also gotten her shoe off and shoved it at her, she would have done the same thing. So it was just like, you're making this so much bigger than it needs to be. It's just a small part of you. Literally, it was 100%. Now it's 99. And it is what it is. And really, in the scheme of things, just laugh it off. Because what else can I do? I can't change it. It's gone. I was born that way. I can't let those boys make me feel shameful or sorry for myself. And at the end of the day, they were just little boys who were experiencing something different and unusual. So I suppose it comes down to, if we think about this, how do you sit when you're confronted with something strange and unusual? I know a lot of people struggle 
to be around someone with a disability and they find it really challenging. The look or the sound or the smell. But I think knowing what I know in my fully functioning body is that every human just wants to be loved and accepted just the way they are, just the way they are. And so look beyond that. Look beyond that first impression. Look beyond something that's different. This world is made up of all sorts of wonderful, wonderful people. It's not their fault they like that. They shouldn't be treated differently. And I know sometimes it's actually not about the look, but it's actually about the behavior might be unpredictable. No, it's not. Predict the unpredictable. I had a lovely young disabled boy come up to me when I was shopping at a shopping center recently with my kids. And he just was with his care and he walked straight up and he grabbed my hand and he was shaking my hand saying, hello, 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 over and over again. Now I could feel my kids recoil and tuck in behind me. And I thought this is a really good teachable moment for my children. Also that I know what it's like when someone's a bit different and you get rejected. And I just said, good day, mate. It's a great handshake you've got there. It's your day today. And it was like he actually didn't anticipate that I was going to respond to his hello. He kind of shook his head and looked at me like he wasn't expecting the next interaction. And then I said, Leo and Millie, come and say hello. And you could say, they're like, no, I don't want to. He's like, come on. And I was like, what's your name? And he said his name. And I said, well, thank you for stopping and saying g'day to me. It made my day, mate. And well, he went off with his care and he kept looking back at us with the biggest grin on his face. And I thought, you know, another way that that boy might have been intercepted by the mother, like huddled their children up and kept moving or even shouted at him for approaching would be such a loss, such a loss of a moment of connection and giving someone a gift of time and a conversation and a smile. And so let's get through to episode two's Pocket Rocket. What is my takeaway from all this experience, from all of my unusual, weird and wonderful body? from the weird and wonderful that surrounds us every day, if you struggle in this department, if you just struggle with something that looks a little bit unusual, it's okay. It's just a matter of having a conversation with yourself about acknowledging it. Oh, I actually feel really uncomfortable when I'm around people who look this way or who sound this way. But then, like I said, you can talk back to those sorts of things. Talk back to that. I feel uncomfortable. That's okay. It's only for a moment. This person has a heart. This person has a brain. They deserve to be loved. They deserve to be cared for. And who are we to deny them of that? And so it's that education, isn't it? That education to take a moment to think about how we're going to respond instead of react to another human about having a conversation with our kids. But let me be really honest. It's 2023. The stuff that our kids are learning in schools now about inclusiveness and being aware and acceptance of all humans is phenomenal. If you struggle in this area, if you struggle with the weird and the unusual and things that are different or things that are unpredictable, then have a chat with your kids. They are so insightful and they are this new generation emerging that is really inclusive of everybody. So when we hear kids talking in a negative way, it's not coming from the schools. It's not. It might be conversations they're having between themselves, but it often comes from a fear-based family background. Take a moment, have a chat with your kids. Talk to someone who's got a disability. Let them have that voice. Let them have that stage and that space. My deformities are so fine now. And in fact, I've got one of them chopped off. It just is a mindfulness that everyone around us has got a different story and a different experience. And when you start talking about it, you realize there's lots of people in the world born really quirky. In fact, I often say to people, I think it's a miracle half of us are born as good as we are because there are a lot of things that can go wrong. 
in a cellular level, when we are first made, let's all just be nice to one another. Give everyone the time of day. Be kind. Talk to your kids. And thank you. Thank you for again lending me your ears and your hearts. Next episode coming up is going to be a little bit heavier. It's going to be a little bit more on my family and what it's like growing up with a bipolar father. We'll talk to that next time. Take care and be kind. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for lending me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson, and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.